Jean Ballard is the Scotsman who moved to Sweden and quickly became a Swedish pop star. He competed two years in a row in the Swedish Melody Festival during the 80s, but has never since been allowed to participate again, despite several attempts and huge successes worldwide with his music. In November 2021, we had a long conversation and I have divided it into two sections. The first here, with a focus on Melody Festivalen, rejected songs that he sent in, some that have never been played before, but also some songs that were later recorded by big international artists. But we also spoke a lot of Ace of Bass, because he was the guy who discovered them. If you're not interested in Swedish music, history, and just wanted to hear the untold and non-censored stories about his five songs in Eurovision, go directly to the second episode. This is Eurovision Legends with your, well, not exactly ace, but perhaps a queen of bass, Emil Löfström. Welcome to Eurovision Legends, John Ballard. Hello, hi. First of all, I'm so grateful that you wish to take part and talk to me. And we have so much to talk about, I think. Not only pre-selections and Eurovision, but we must talk about your work as a solo artist, Ace of Bass, and other acts you have written and produced for. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, I was the biggest fan of Ace of Base myself as a young and proud kid in the darkest parts of Darsland's forest. But <laughs> enough about me. You were born in Scotland and moved to Sweden and studied to become a teacher. Yeah. Why Sweden? Uh, okay, um, as a folk singer, my family worked with music in the theatre and whatever, so... When I was just about to go to university in Aberdeen, I got a summer job as a folk singer in a place called McTavish's Kitchens in Oban on the mm. west coast of Scotland. Yeah. That was a seven-day week job. They had entertainment every evening, and I did like a 30-minute spot. I very quickly became the conferencière, you know, running the show, and I did that for the whole summer. It was fantastic. Then I moved to Fort William, and both restaurants or establishments were actually semi-owned by a Swede called Stellan Melin. And he said, John, why don't you come to Sweden and do what you're doing for me at a couple of my hotels in Sweden? Yeah. So I went. I came to Stockholm, and I came to Norrköping, and uh, then finally to Gothenburg on like a three-month trip. And this is in the early 70s, and there was a massive difference between earning a living in the UK, Scotland, or in Sweden. Sweden was at the top of its prime then, really. And I just loved it. I loved the. I was making good money, and I enjoyed what I was doing. So I moved my studies from Aberdeen University to Gothenburg University. And you still are here in Sweden and in Gothenburg. Yes, I am, my friend. Yes, I have something, you know, my... My folks back home, they said, John, you've been in Sweden now for like, well, that's a few years back now. But when I'd been here for like 20 years, yeah. you know, my mom said, my God, you've been there for 20 years now. Isn't it time to come back home? You know, <laughs> but uh, 
I just love, I've just, I've always loved the water and Gothenburg for me in Sweden, but in particular Gothenburg has everything. It's got the sea, the coast, the weather, lovely people. I just love Sweden. I totally agree. And I live in the same city. Uh, if we move forward to 1980, some songs yeah. were released with you yeah. as a solo yeah. artist. That's right. The record company was Marianne, which dominated yes. the Swedish selection for Eurovision during the 80s and was run yes. by the very intense Bert Karlsson. That's right. Who Bye. probably <laughs> everyone in the industry has an opinion about. Yeah. Do you have any? Yeah. I, first of all, before I, I say, I like Bert and and uh, I still do, but he was a very, very special man. And I must tell you a story then. I wrote a song called, uh, let's see, it's, uh, um, uh, the, the, the band Friends. It was their first uh, single. Vi behöver varann. That's right. That, thank you, Emil. You know my, my track record better than me. Um, and I'm sitting in a restaurant in Fjällbacka in the middle of the summer and I get a telephone call from Bert. And Bert says, John, you have this song called Vibervavran. Uh, I've got it here as a demo and I want to record it with a new group. They're going to have a TV series on TV4, a new group. And uh, But what I want is I want the publishing on the song. Yeah. And I said... No, I don't think so, Bert. I've I've recorded that song. I've had some costs and whatever. So no, thank you, but but no, thank you. Okay, he said. So and he puts the phone down. Two minutes later, he frowns again and says, "Look, come on. The, I'll make it a single. I promise you, it will get a gold record in Sweden. But you can. Why don't you give me half the publishing then?" And I said, "Well, okay, that seems a fair deal. Okay, you know, fine, great. So we're in agreement." Yeah, sure. He said, wait a minute, I'll put you on the, the loudspeaker telephone and Pling Forshman was there and Dilly Diedrichsen was there, a few other people. He says, so they can all hear you, John. We are in agreement then that I get 50% of the publishing rights. Uh, yes, but, you know, you, you don't have to do this with me. I, I, I don't lie. I, I stick to my word, you know, but okay, yeah, yeah, we're in agreement. And then he said, fine, well, just listen to this. And he, he played the finished single. They'd already recorded it, had the cover... <laughs> it was going to be released the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's it. and and the record did get a gold record and it, it did become the single on the series etc. So he kept his word, uh, but he obviously didn't give me all the information. Kind of sums for me up bet he's always delivered but there's always been maybe a little twist somewhere yeah and the year after friends represented sweden in eurovision with listen to your heartbeat i must ask yeah. how old were the song vi behöver varann uh, that wasn't old that was maybe two years old okay yeah i've written a lot a lot of songs and that's how sometimes i've I've had a long career. I've written lots of songs for loads of people. You know, that's that's it's, sometimes it's difficult to, as you probably when we spoke before, I kind of mix up the dates, and sometimes I can mix up a song. That, but that one, that one is definitely for real. The whole story there is is definitely for real. Were any of the songs submitted to the pre-selection for Eurovision in Sweden, Melody Festival, and among the songs that was um, published by Marianne? 
Uh, I asked him so. I noticed that one of them was exactly three minutes long and that always uh-huh. makes my spider senses tingle. Okay. What, so- what song was that? Come along and sing my song. Ah, yeah, that's right. That was presented. Yes, it was. I wrote that and I sang it as well on the demo. Come along and sing my song. I want you to sing along. Yeah, oh yeah, I know that one. Come along, sing my song. I want you to sing along. Make you feel alright if you're lonesome I know was, you. I know you. Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I know that you wasn't uh, a Swedish citizen during this time, and to compete in Melody Festival and submit a song that you have written, you had to be. Yeah. But you know that has never stopped. But Carlson, you know, he pretended yeah. to be Nick Borian before he was a Swedish citizen in the nineties, <laughs> <laughs> and still no one knows what Venus Butterfly is. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, that was the same thing in 83 and 84 when I was part of it, when I performed in the... I wasn't allowed, you know, I wrote loads of songs, but let's put it this way, I had to give away, if you put, if you want, I couldn't be responsible for my... for If I wrote a melody or, or a lyric, I, I that just had to be, you know, give it away because I couldn't be part of it. And, and, uh, and uh, that's the way it was. You didn't remain long at Bert Carlson's company, Marianne, and instead moved to Glendisk. Yes. Why? I just, just, well, but just before, just before we, we get out, there's one one thing that I don't know if you know about, and that is the reason I was on Hulans Hörna. Yep. Which is which is uh, everybody in Sweden has heard about Hulans Hörna. Absolutely. And I sang two songs. Yeah. And after I came off the stage, Bert Carlson called me. And he said, look, I want to record you know, make a single. And that's how that whole start started. And the song I recorded was a song called Here Comes the Light. Yep. And Here Comes the Light was released and represented Sweden in the Europa Toppen. Together with Secret Service, I believe. That's right. And I beat Secret Service yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive. That, well, we'll get back to that story a little bit later because there's a little twist there with Ola Håkansson. Yeah. As you as you know, and I'll tell you the twist. The twist is, is that I I've been signed by PWL in London. Peter Waterman yeah, had some. Stock you know, Waterman. That's right. Yep. Massive hits, massive yep. hits. And I was there for almost a year writing songs for PWL. Okay. And uh, I came, and they had an arrangement with Ola Håkansson. Anyway, I came to Stockholm with three or four demos that I'd recorded in in England. 
and all the Hawke and so on. This is before Here Comes the Night, and Hawke and wasn't really interested. He didn't hear it. He thought it was very British. The whole thing was too British for him and whatever. And then a couple of months later, I'm competing against him in the Europop. And, and so it was a bit of a joke. Well, well, okay, you know, you didn't like the song, Ola, but half of Europe did. So, so there you go. Uh, if we go back to Glendisk, it was run by Bruno Glenmark, who yes. was and still is married to Anna Louise Hansson, who you That's participated right. together with in Melodi Festival in 1983. Right. Yes. How did the two of you end up there? Well, simply because I was helping Bruno Glenmark sign me as a solo artist, as a writer, and I was helping different people. Lots of the time I was helping with translations. And the English, like, for example, I helped David Algren and Penilla Algren, different people that were there. They just wanted if they were going to release the songs in English. So he had a he had a little stable of people. He had Anders Glenmark, Karen Glenmark, Penilla, and a couple of others. I can't remember. Uh, but so we were. I can't. I don't want to use the word a big happy family, but but because Bruno owned his own studio in Stocksund, we all kind of hung out there and met there, and and I actually stayed in a flat above the studio a little a little apartment okay when i was there yeah uh, so so that and it just became i think Anne louise had been on the melody festival so many times i think that bruno felt that i was an up-and-coming young guy that, that maybe we could do a duet and and that would you know give her a better chance really For enjoyed that I mean for me then that was the first time I'd never really paid any attention to the to the Melody Festival and because in the UK the Melody Festival the Eurovision Song Contest wasn't really important for the for the music industry then I don't know I don't know whether it is now either to be honest with you but uh, I know that when when I came to the UK after 84 when I did a solo project as you as you well know that, uh, you know, the, the managers and the people I met there, they said, for God's sake, don't say that you've been part of the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest. That's, that's not a plus here. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. So there you go. Uh, the, uh, the song you competed with and ended up fifth with was composed by Anders Glenmark with lyrics by Ingela Plingforsman. Was yeah. this the only song submitted? Do you know that? I think it was, actually. I think... I think the rules, this is just as I remember it, so I don't know whether this is 100% correct, but in those days, I think the publishers were allowed to to enter, depending on what success they'd had the years before, the SVT, they wanted to get in something like a total of 90 songs, and from the 90 songs, you were given a quote. So I think Glenmark had something like three or four songs to present, something like that. And one of them, obviously, was was Baran and Dagon. And so, you know, I was asked by Bruno if I wanted to do it. And I said, yeah, great. And I, I do remember saying, well, you know, I mean, I've got like a hundred of my own songs. Could, couldn't I sing one of them? Yeah. But that was, as you, as you already mentioned, because I was a, a British citizen, I wasn't allowed to apply. Yeah. 
Uh, an English version of the song was recorded and released. Do you remember the title? Oh my goodness! I didn't. I didn't uh, that's that's just amazing, Emil, because I have no recollection of that English version <laughs> was released. <laughs> but, but you spoke a little bit about Bru about Bert Carlson before. You know, there's not really that much difference between Bruno Glenmark and. Carlson, really, <laughs> uh, I have no idea. Uh, but I know it should be. Uh, uh, no, I have no idea. Tell me. Giving my heart away. Giving my heart away. Is it me that's singing it? Yes. Oh my goodness! It was go. actually released on a um, compilation for Eurovision 1983, wow. and on wow. that cassette was uh, wow. two songs. From the Swedish Melodi Festivalen in English. Wow, you know. Well, I've never. Let's put it this way: I can say, email, I, I'm going to call Bruno Glenn because I've never received any royalties from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do that. Don't know if I can take it. I'd never give them my all. Will I ride in the wind? Will I stumble and fall? Waking up in the morning See the sun coming through Been spending my nights dreaming of you Giving my heart away Never thought that I'd feel this way Never wanted more to share this day With you than I did now or never Carola won a gigantic victory and yes. you got a chase for Melodifestivalen because the following year, 1984, you were back in the contest. Yes, that's right. This time the song was titled Rendezvous and written Rendezvous, by yeah. Björn Nyqvist and Paula of Malmborg. Yes. Tell me, how did this happen? Uh, once again, I, I was signed to Bruno Glenmark and uh, you, you, I think you've got to remember 1983-84... You know, there was only Swedish television. There wasn't like 120 other channels, the no. TV channels. So the Melody Festival played a big, big part. Yeah. And uh, and especially I, I since Carola did this breakthrough yeah. from it the year before. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I didn't need to be persuaded much because I knew that it was, it was the media-wise, it was the biggest TV show of the year. And as long as I did something that I thought was okay and, and as a performance and as a performer, I thought, you know, I'll go for it. And it resulted in a, I, I got a, a, a two-year sponsorship from Björn Boris Clothes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in, the, in the final there, I'm wearing a, 
a lime green yeah. <laughs> Bjorn Bori with the stripes down yep. the side of the trousers, etc. Yeah. Um, that was fun going to the factories that Bjorn Bori had and just going in and say, they said, yeah, take what you want. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, that, was, that was good fun. Got myself some suits and some clothes and that was good. Now, I enjoyed the whole, I enjoyed the whole thing with, with the rendezvous. Rendezvous, conflict that arrived there was that really I I had a rock and roll band I yep. was around playing playing in Sweden Poland France and England we, we were you know we the act the John Ballard act we were called and we were doing pretty well so for a lot of my if I did if I had any fans at the time but for a lot of the people that I, I can call them fans they were a bit shocked about me so I kind of changed my audience changed a little bit after that. Yeah. And uh, in 1984, I think I did something like 65 concerts, you know, in the summer in the folk parks today and all the different things you do in Sweden. So it was a massive. So I mean, I must say, I didn't win it. I came. I was lying. I think very close with one group left. It was only me or Hirays really that could could do. Everybody thought was going to win it, and yeah. uh, you know. Good luck for Grace. They had a they had a really catchy a really catchy song. The the Hooray Boys and me we're still friends. We say hello when we meet up, etc. etc. So, uh, so it was you know I, I I felt like a winner although I came third, just picked at the second there. But I, I still felt like a winner. I think I'd, I'd done well. And it's all live and there's no tricks with altitude or everything. In those days, you can either sing or you can't sing. It's yeah. as simple as that. I spoke to Richard Herey in this podcast in a previous episode and he told me that Herey's was offered another song too for the Swedish Melody Festival in the same year but turned that song down. So instead one of the composers sang the song in Melody Festival and a funny nerd fact here is that you wrote the English lyrics for that song later when it was released for the world market with Herey's. Do you know which song I'm referring to? No. Mexico. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It competed as Kalsomis in Melodifestivalen. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that you say it, I had it on the, 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 the tip of my tongue. I knew I'd written something, but uh, but I couldn't remember what t- what title. I mean, just just the reason why you may think, Mike, doesn't he remember anything? Last year I wrote for Greece. I wrote eighty eight zero 
lyrics oh. for songs that oh. were going to be entered to the Eurovision Song Contest. 80. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one country, 80 lyrics. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, you know, I've, I've written a few lyrics in my, in my time. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, we, must, we, we have to talk about those later. Um, but after the year 1984, the most interesting thing begins, I think, because you got to compete twice, two years in a row, and then you have never been in the show again, at least not yet. No. Why? I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know why. I've had that question a few times. I've, I've met with uh, with Krista, uh, you know, a few times, and... Uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I think, number one, it wasn't really something that I tried to get into myself, if you understand yeah, what I mean. Yeah. It was more, you know, I'd, I'd been to, I represented Sweden in Sopot. Yep, in, yep, in Poland. In Poland yeah. yeah, and then then I spent three weeks with my band touring Russia. Mm. And this is way before the Iron Curtain collapses. Yeah. Uh, so we were like three weeks, we were playing at the Olympic Stadium in St. Petersburg and the Olympic Stadium in Moscow twice a day for 40, 50,000 people every show. You know, writing songs, I'm not saying every song I've written has a meaning, but try to have a good lyric. And it, it's saying something about, it can be about love or it can be about wanting to, to be with someone or, or they've left you or whatever, you know, or just having a good time, like come along and sing my song, for example, as you said there, um, was just something to make people happy. And I've written quite a few songs like that where where when you get a bit older, you start writing maybe different lyrics. But so and the really, I never really tried the years 86 to 90 to get to be a part of the show again at that time. And of course, that's when I started. I had my studios and I was working with, with lots of other people helping helping them. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think you know, I was reasonably, reasonably, reasonably successful at that. But one song I learned three years ago when I did a series of rejected songs to Melody Festival and was that was submitted between 1989 and 1995 to Melody Festival and was the song Together, which instead mm. of becoming a Melody Festival entry ended up as a theme for a Swedish TV series. Yeah. And well, the song wasn't called Together. The, the, the group is called Together. The group was called Together. Okay. The song is, is called the Bara Vi Er Vänner. Yeah, that's right. And it stayed yeah. six weeks in a row as number one on the singles chart. Yeah. yeah. The... What, what can you say about that? You tell me, Emil. <laughs> But I remember, I remember the TV series, and I remember the song, and I remember it was yeah. a big hit. Yeah, I can, I can say this, Emil, that I still perform about ten, fifteen times a year. I, I dress up in my kilt. Yeah, and uh, and uh, my friend Eric and me, and we do like for events or companies or somebody's it's their birthday or whatever, and we sing in the kilt. And we sing Scottish songs, a lot of Scottish, Irish, English folk songs. I introduced the song by saying, this is a song that I sent into the Melody Festival and for so, so many years and it never even got amongst the last hundred, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah. Um, so I got this band, put them together, made a group and called them together, three guys, and we released the track. And as you say, it was number one for weeks and weeks and weeks. It got to be a series. 
And I sang the song with, with Eric, with, with two acoustic guitars, a bass or whatever, two-part harmony, and people go, they love it. I see mig runt omkring, men jag saknar ingenting, bara vi är vänner. Vi behöver inget mer, känner värme som dig song and they are they all go did you write that song did wow did, and how could that not make it to the last hundred for in the unit you tell me <laughs> well i don't know but do you still have the demo that you submitted in 1989 i think i have and i i, I I'm, i'm gonna try and find it for uh, for you um uh, i'm pretty sure because we did a i did a um uh, an acoustic version and i did a radio version i did a few a few other, other things the good thing about that is that when i put together this band together was that we had we had quite a lot of success with the band together yeah uh, as well so in in a way it became a good thing of it but i i still to this day i have a couple of other songs that i'm gonna send to you um and uh, and when i'm pretty sure that when you hear them you you'll think wow you know what and i and it's not a case of just i can understand that if you're competing with another song that's that's maybe close to the to the area where you are that that one is beaten by that one song but i've sent them in over so many years yeah. that that you would have thought that one year that some of them would have made it but there you go nobody nobody believed that well, we'll get to ace of bass later and i'll continue the theme here when i get to When I talked to you on the phone last week, you mentioned Bubbles, who competed in Melody Festival in 2003 and 2004. Yeah. And before we talk about them, I must mention one thing here, because I think this is funny. One of the composers to TKO, Paul Rain, who is a friend of mine and who has composed the jingle of this podcast, had some big international hits with artists like uh, Gisnagulera and Jessica Simpson in the beginning of 2000. And yep. he wrote the song TKO that Bubbles competed yep. with to Ricky Martin from the beginning. Uh-huh, so I didn't know that, that song has been played for Ricky Martin before it later competed in Melody Festivalen. <laughs> And let's listen to the original demo of TKO here. Okay. Take it to a T-K-O 
This party's gonna make you sweat Everybody place your best You won't be saved by the bell This place is harder than hell That's not something you hear every day in the same sentence. Ricky Martin, Melodifestivalen, Bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said to me that songs with them were submitted to Melodifestivalen before TKO. Yeah, yeah. But I must ask you, because, because the oldest girl in Bubbles was born in 1987. And Rock the yeah. World was released in 2000. So they couldn't yeah, have participated no. because they were too young. But yeah, and, and I, I checked up on my diaries and I checked a little bit. You're right. But the song was sent. I, I had that, like so many other songs, uh, you know, where, where maybe not exactly. I, I remember I changed the, the verses a little bit to suit Hannah's voice. So, but, but the song Rock the World was yeah. uh, presented to the jury for the, the Melody Festival, along with the other song. What a fly, high above in the sky, looking all over the world, people get ready now. And I see everything I want to see, surrounding every part of me, people get There have been years where I've been sitting with 10, 12 people at Tough Studios and right. And we've we've maybe entered 15 or 20 songs that have just been composed to the to the Melody Festival. So it was a big, big thing at, at one point. And because of we never had any success really with it, but off the top of my head, maybe 30-40% of those songs have been released later and done quite well. So um, uh, I had one song, for example, for for David that that was presented to me, and I don't remember the year now because it's, but but I can check that later on. Yeah. Um, the mean a guy called Bjorn Steenström who worked with me with Ace of Base, we wrote a song, sent it to the, up to the Maldives, and it didn't make it. I'm not saying it's a big Eurovision song, but it had something in the song because when I then sent it to companies in Germany, I was immediately contacted and they said, we have a very famous guy who we want to sing this song. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, and who's that? And that's David Hasselhoff. So David Hasselhoff recorded a song called A Slow Night in the City.
I'm saying I'm not saying it would have won the Europe, but it, at least it it proves like your song with the TKO. And that, that song was released in 1997. When okay, you, you, when did you submit uh, it to the Swedish pre-selection? Well, it must have been the year before. I okay. Do you know who sang it? It was probably me who sang the demo. I sang quite a, quite a lot of the, the demos, and then I thought that was probably the reason why some of the songs wasn't getting there because it was too much coming in with my vocal on it. So I changed tactics, and and uh, it, it, when we get further on, um, I've sent in songs with uh, Jamie Mayer's vocal, a great song called uh, "Love Song," like in a love song, and I'll, that's one of the songs I'll, I'll, you can play later. Yeah, it's still a great song. I think it's a great song, and everybody who's heard that song, and I still haven't released it publicly because I reckon it can still do quite well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, held on to it for like, you know, 20 years or something. <laughs> Ridiculous. Did you say that it was 20 years old, the song? No, no, but I have songs. I have songs because I knew I was going to do this this interview with you today. I've looked through and I've found songs from, you know, the late 90s, the beginning of the 20s, that some of them have been released, but some of them haven't been been released. And of course, you know, sounds change, for example, uh Uh, so, so, the, but, but if you if you think of uh, some of the songs with an up to date uh, production today, as you probably I don't know if you agree with me or not, but an awful lot of songs I think today don't have as strong melodies or lyrics. I totally as they agree once with had. you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So if you if you you know when I when I contact bigger companies, you know like Warner, Universal, Sony, etc. with With the, with new artists, the, the feedback I get often is, oh, well, that's not the the sound we're looking for today. It's it's got to be this you know modern sound with minimum. If you think about verses today, they're very minimalistic in their in the number of notes you hit. Yeah, they're, they're more that they, they can just be like two or three notes that are going up and down and sixteen beats to the bar, etc., etc. Uh, whereas before verses, I think had. They had to be better because your, your production could just be pretty straightforward. Yeah, production. Yeah. Okay, but so you found five songs that was sent to to uh, the committee. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about them, please? Sure. Uh, I, I sent in two or three years in a row a song called "Like in a Love Song" with Jamie Mayer, mm. which is a, a pop guitar based song that I'm, I'm I really thought because Jamie was pretty. Act to L, as they say, he was current, you know, and he's a good singer. Did good he artist. come from pop stars or Fame Factory or some other? He came from one of those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah. I remember that he was a good-looking guy with a great voice. Yeah. How can we never kiss like in a love song? Yeah, still is, and yeah. still, and still, I, I don't know what he's doing. To I think he moved to Nashville or somewhere or America somewhere mm. to try his luck there. Stop before it's over How did it come 
so so I've got a song with him. Um, I've got now we're moving on a bit. We know that would be. I would have thought that would be about two thousand seven or eight or something like that. Um, then I sent in a couple of songs with the group Enjoy, and one song that I wrote together with a couple of other people, not forgetting them, but I wrote, um, uh, and we entered to Svenstoppen Nesta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the song was called uh, Live for the Night, and that won the Gothenburg slaughtered all the other all the other uh, competition there. It was uh, it was absolutely fantastic, and they they got to uh, they got they won that and that. But this is the other thing, and the song I think is a is a hit. You know, it's a big hit song. But they didn't from the twenty five or twenty six places in Sweden that have this Svenstop Nesta, to the final, only eight are invited and enjoy were not invited, which was a total shock to everybody. And what happened with that song was then, so we didn't get to the final with Enjoy. Um, I sent the song to the States, to New York, to a few people I knew there, and they loved it. And so the girls came over and they did like a two or three month tour in the United States based on that song. company in the states wanted arista wanted them to stay but the girls they had boyfriends and families and you know they 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 turned it down to be honest with you they they wanted to come back to sweden so that's what they did okay um so that one there um what else then i had uh, another song with uh enjoy called one step at a time mm-hmm. uh that we sent in two or three years and it didn't make it and then i sent that to a couple of publishers in europe and Malta picked up on the song, and I can't remember her name now. But she she, she sang it in the in the in the Maltese the quiz lecture. Maltese final, yeah. Uh, Believe yeah. it was competed in 2018 with Danisa Muscat. That's right. Yeah, that's right. One step at a time. Behind me, I 
Yeah, we sent in a song with uh, called Lucky Day with Moye on the singer. Moye is now a, a kind of solo artist. This would also be about 2007, 6, 7, some, uh, something about that. And he was one um, of the members in uh, Together. Together, yeah. yeah. He was the lead singer. In yeah. So we did that. And Moye was starting to become popular. We sent that in there. And it's a big song. It's a big, big song. It's, it's a bit... Um, What's his name? The English guy. Let me entertain you. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. It's a bit Robbie Williams. Big choirs, big song. And then I also have that I can't, I can let you hear them, but you can't put them on your pod. Yeah. And that is, we had two or three songs with, uh, not everybody knows, but Hannah Ferm oh, was signed yeah. to my company. Oh. Uh, she worked with me for two years. Yeah. And we, re- we recorded, uh, we had to wait until she was 16 to because of the rules. Yeah. And uh, we sent in a couple of songs with, uh, with her um, and... Uh, but then she, because of the old idol thing, yeah, you know, she 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 left us and went to Universal because she had to, yeah, you had to be signed to Universal to get to be a part of it all. 
So, so there is, there's, and there's, there's a few, there's a few other bits and pieces. Uh, uh, if, if we're talking about the the melody festival, I can't really remember all the. There've been so so many songs. <laughs> <laughs> there is a song titled "Can't Stop the Rain" that Martina Edoff sang. That's right. I wrote that together with Dilly Dickerson. Exactly. Wasn't that written for Melody Festival too? Yes, it was, uh, and it didn't make it. And Bert was in really mad. He was really, really, really mad that he he couldn't understand why that song. So as he always she, is <laughs> during yeah, Melody yeah, Festival yeah, in yeah. time. But then then she sang it on the TV show. Fame Factory. What was it? Yeah, Fame Factory, and and actually won that month's final yeah. with that song. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, my two daughters—they love that song. Me too. Pretend that we just met for the first time. Let's forget and start again. Moment back in time when we lay down, made you mine right to the end. Close your eyes. You had a short career as a glam rock musician. The band was called Ballad, and the two other members were Ulf Widlund and Raven. That's right, Björn Stenström. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this project sadly never became that success it should have, but I think we shall give it some justice and play one of the songs from the album here because I love Standing in the Shadows. Oh, I'm so happy you chose that song because that's one of my favorites. I love that song. I love the way the whole story behind it. Me and Ulf, we'd we'd been uh, uh, at Ulf was with me at uh, for a while, two or three months in London at the Stock Aitken uh, Waterman Waterman set up there. I've got so many stories about that. I can give you give you one. We worked the night shift, so we started work at nine o'clock in the evening, just as the day crew went to the pub. We started. Um, my audition, by the way, we can start. My audition in front of Peter Waterman. And so Peter Waterman says, okay, son, so can you sing? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I can sing pretty good, good. And uh, what do you write? And I, I said, well, I write songs. He said, okay, what's the last song you wrote? And I said, well, I'm working on a song at the moment. I've just got it in my head. We haven't got fun that. And he said, sing it. And I'm standing there in the reception with all these people and I, and he says, sing it. And I said, you want me to sing it? Yes, yeah, sing it, he said. So, and I sang it. And what I sang was, 
It's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. And I'm hypnotized by Bana FIFA. He said, stop, 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 stop. Right. You can start now. Go into room number two. Where you go. (laughs) (laughs) And that song I wrote, recorded, but the act, but the act, Ulf and, and Bjorn and a couple of other guys, Dile, Dedrickson, Martin Hedström, uh, a few other guys there. As I say, we, we toured hundreds of gigs in Sweden and in Norway and in Poland and then we did hundreds and hundreds of gigs as a rock act, actually. And I love that. I love those things. It was, you know, it was lovely being a pop star for a while. But from glam rock with the band Ballad to Ace of Base, how yes. did this come about? Okay, I with the I've done pretty well financially with different things uh, with the music career, and decided I was going to record an album at Studio Bohus in Gothenburg, and they out that album, and I was paying for that myself now because. Glenmarks would they they were packing in basically they were going to move to France they were going to sell the studios and everything and so I, uh, Air Music um, uh, what's his name Larsh at, at Air Music he believed in it with the the band but uh, they were a small small company as regards you know making things happen in Sweden so it just one thing led to another and when you're doing two hundred and fifty gigs a year yeah traveling you know all of a sudden you kind of get a little bit tired of it because we we'd had to do small gigs and big gigs and small gigs and big gigs in it to make a, a living so i decided to start the studio and then we we got the studio going and i i put an ad in the paper in yet the boys poston for bands or acts that were looking for for help and and recording and the uh, ulf ekberg and jonas bergen turned up with a band called Technoir. Uh, that's right, Technoir. I'm Mr. Ace, I'm running my base. Yes, you They presented themselves, and uh, I actually liked what I heard because if you think about all that she wants, yeah. all that she wants rhythmically is Scottish folk music. Okay, and you're going to say, "No, that's not possible." What's he talking about? Well, the the whole trick behind behind bands like Ace of Base is that you sing like four beats to the bar, and then you go over to sixteen parts. Like so, if you think da 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 da, next bit da 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 you with me? Yeah. So now, and and for me, being a folk singer from Scotland, I cannot say no way. So don't take this wrong way that I I wrote anything on the song, all that she wants. But what I did do was I helped rhythmically 
with them to get the, the, the beat, the kind of rhythm in the verses, because I'm going to sing two songs for you now. If I start with the one song, ace of bass, verse, and then I sing the other song. Do you hear the similarity between yeah. who's going to, the drunken sailor yeah. and the verses yeah. of All That She Wants? Yes, yes. And that theme we used in almost every Ace of Base song. What you gonna tell your mama about the wheel of fortune? What you gonna tell your dad's like the wheel of fortune? What everybody, you can hear the Irish-Scottish twang in that. That that was really how I got going to it. And I, I loved working with Ulf and, and Jonas. Very, very committed. What people don't realise is that for like a year and a half, they in particular, and me a lot, we sat and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote songs with no success, no money, uh, you know, really, really, really working working hard on it. And, uh, you know, we went to hundreds of different companies. Everybody refused Ace of Base. Everybody. Yeah. Even all the Hawkins on. And yeah. even all the Stockholm people, they can say what they want today. They turned us away. guitars guys there are no guitars and it sounds like a demo you know I actually still to this day with new artists that I'm working with I say to them just because some Stockholm companies or Swedish companies reject they don't like it it does not mean that there are there can be millions of people in the world who think this is fantastic my first relations to Ace of Base was the song Happy Nation, and I became a hardcore fan early on. And isn't it you who sing the backing vocals in Latin like a Gregorian monk? <laughs> With you, I think I'm singing on most of the AC bass songs. <laughs> <laughs> I loved backing vocals. I've always loved backing vocals, and I had a bit a few fights with uh, Jonas in particular because he didn't like really backing vocals. But uh, they're not obvious when you listen to like even with Happy Nation and all that. But we have lots of dubs on yeah. Marlene and, and Jenny. Lots of dubs, and I, I think I've dubbed everything, uh, which I love doing. And and you you can only you could only really hear it. If you listened, if you took it away. Happy nation, living in a happy nation. Whoa. 
man situation lead to sweet salvation for the people for the good for mankind brother happy Their first album broke all previous records and became the best-selling debut album of all time. But despite that, they were extremely poorly received by critics, especially mm. in their home country, Sweden. Yes. What was it about Ace of Base that was not appreciated? Do you think? Oh, that's a really good. That's a really good question. Um, I think. I think you got to. They were the band themselves. They knew what they wanted, and you had, you had a very strange kind of situation. Whereas, so many meetings that we were at, where the record company, when they had deals, for example, and the record company said, "Okay, we're going to do it this way, we're going to do that and that," and the band would just say, "No, I don't think so. We don't want that." And yeah, you know, so there was there was there was there was conflict. I must say, I don't know whether that kind of crept through to the. I'll be honest with you, I think. I've met loads of A and R people in in my life, and um, when you hear something new, you must remember that this was before drums and bass. There's no guitars, basically no guitars on the first 25 songs on Ace of Bass. I don't remember ever there being a guitar. They didn't want guitars. It's a it's a period when you've got Europe and you've got you know Guns and Ro- all the bands, all the rock, and and you come in with something that sounds. A little bit synthetic, I think. Yeah, you should. But the, yeah. the drama, um, and uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know how, how truthful I can be, but but you, you, in those days, the business was. They were looking for people who really looked good. You know, they wanted you wanted to be a model, or you wanted to be a you know look like a film star. Either that, or really charismatic, yeah. with exceptional clothes and, and you know, etc. And Ace of Base were down to earth ordinary people and uh, you must remember that Jonas and, and Marlin and Jenny are deeply religious, really really deeply religious and that, that also came came through with different things but the bottom line I think is that in Stockholm uh, I mean I don't know if you know this but even when they're number one in half of Europe they could not get a record company to release their record from Stockholm <laughs> That's the truth, and I, yeah. I, I'll, 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 I'll stand up in court and say that because I know I was there. And so, what Mega Records had to do was to start their own office in Stockholm yeah, yeah. to get yeah. to get a release. I mean, come on! I mean, I remember they... this because Leila Kay was signed on the same um, record yeah. company. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask all the all the big companies and and stuff. I think I think they all just missed it. They missed. It. They, they didn't hear it. What do they say in Sweden? Smarking is embarking. Opinions are yeah. like assholes. Everybody's got one. You know. I don't know. Well, you produced, composed, and sang on several songs for Ace of Base during their years as an active band. Why did they split? <sighs> oh, uh, I I think number one, it's a question of economics. Because initially, these four young kids, they didn't realize that, you know, they're splitting even on the album, on the actual physical, mechanical albums, you know, their royalty, etc. But because Jonas and Adolf were writing most of the songs, 
uh, and these songs were being played all over the world. The publishing money was would probably exceed the mechanicals, and I think that was one of the one of the problems. Um, uh, and I think I, th- I don't know. I think the the girls weren't really ready for the Jonas and Ulf. They were bang into the success, and they would, wanted to tour and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, there was always there was always I, I was you know officially or in unofficially whatever you want. You know, I, I toured with them quite a lot with them, and and they they were different. You know, they they, they were different, and uh, there was always going. To, and then so when 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 it came to notice or to the surface that if you'd written the songs, then you were going to make more money. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden, Marlene and Jenny wanted to write songs on their next album. Yeah, uh, I and, remember that. Uh, yeah, and and that, to be honest with you. I'm a songwriter. They were not. They, they were not as hit. Um, and I think I think you've got to you've got to remember that uh, that uh, you know I, I sat with Clive Davis, the big the man. I mean, he's discovered Whitney Houston and Bruce Springsteen, and you know, you're the biggest man in the music business ever, Arista. I mean, he said to me, he said, you, you know, you must write hits. You got to, you know, people people are not as clever as you think they are just give them a hit give them something to sing along with and feel happy and and that's why Jonas and me wrote It's a Beautiful Life which I'm not saying is the best song that I've ever written but if it's probably the best hit that I've ever written Still being played. I don't know if you noticed that the, on the uh, advertising for Sustainable in Sweden, it's actually the music they're playing is "It's a Beautiful Life," <laughs> as as they're doing the the advertising. Det är därför vi har lite annorlunda öppettider. Är åldersfixerade och faktiskt blir glada om du ångrar dig. Watch it next time. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely will. But I know that Beautiful Life uh, had been uh, covered in several other languages around the world. That's great. That's... As a hardcore Ace of Base fan, I must ask, what really happened with the blonde sister, Marlin? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't answer that, Emil. I, I, think, I think it's... it's. We tried... I tried everything to keep the to keep these guys together because usually i don't know what it, what they're like but usually when when you've had a few years to to think about things you can you only you're only of that age and in that environment and got those things going for you once in your life and uh, as a as an adult man now i'd say that if you've got four young kids about the age of 25 and they earn a yeah. lot of money it's very difficult for them to to think that they don't they know better themselves if you understand what i mean you know all of a sudden i've, I've made all this money i'm going to make it all again and again and again and and that's not the way that's not the way it it, uh, it works um but i had, i had a great few years with it was very very hectic don't get me wrong jesus the the pressure we were under when you i can tell you one story and that is that for album number two. Well, really, you had the Happy Nation was an album, really, and then the American version was the sign. Yeah. Um, but for the next album, for the for the Bridge album, yeah, we were we recorded about twenty six demos. 
Um, but when I say demos, we had not Marlene and Jenny singing on them. We had other singers coming in to do the demos, or I'd be singing, or somebody, whatever. But all, all, all basic prods, not the whole finished mix, but the, the ideas. And we sent these 26 songs to all the different record labels that had signed up for the next album for Ace of Ace. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is this, is that when we got back and we asked them to order them in order of merit, you know, which 12 songs would you like on your album for Japan? Which 12 songs would you like for Germany? Which yeah. 12 songs would you like for Canada? Etc. Etc. And you would not believe me when you saw the results because on the Japanese album, for example, none of the top 12 were in the American top 12. They wanted totally different albums. They didn't, they, what they, what they liked and what they heard was that, and that whole thing finished by Jonas and Ulf in particular, and, and to some extent, Jenny and Marlon said, okay, we'll go with our 18 12. songs, I believe was on the album. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. But my, my, what uh, a big red flashing light made it obvious to me that if I send a song to Korea, they may love the song. So just because I've sent it to the Americans and they don't like the song, doesn't mean that the song it doesn't have a value because the Koreans would, would love that. I had a very similar, a, a similar experience with my little band Bubbles. I recorded 10 songs. I spent a lot of money on bubbles. I found these five girls. They went to dance classes, clothes, photo sessions, music, and the, and and and, um, and I introduced and had meetings with about 10 or 12 of the biggest record companies, and they laughed at me. Nobody wanted it. Never worked, they said. Hmm. Never worked. 12 young girls, uh, five young girls, and, and all those songs never, never worked. Um, uh, and so I went to Midem and I, I got a deal in Amsterdam with, with um, a record company in Amsterdam who not only took it, gave me a nice advance of money and they loved it. And it, it became a massive success in Holland and France, South Africa, a pretty good success in Sweden too. Yeah. So they missed that as well. Yeah. Although Ace of Base went like a bullet, Jonas Berggren, one of the bandmates Ace of Base, and the composer of the songs started another band at the same time. Because why not, when you are the biggest band in the world, why don't have two? No, but seriously, the band was called Yakida, and you were involved in this band also. Yeah. They became pretty big too. Yeah. And I know you had worked with Marie Knudsen yeah. before, yeah. since you were, yeah. because she was the backing vocalist for the glam rock band Ballad. That's right. Uh, You're well informed, Damien. You're well informed. <laughs> But I'm a fan of your music, so that's why. And as if writing music for two bands was not enough, Jonas also sent a song to Melody Festivalen in 1997 that ended last with zero points. Sung yeah. by the duo Fotogenic. Yeah. But that project, I believe, you weren't involved in? No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> Later 
I didn't like. I, I, I didn't. Uh, let's get back to let's get back to what I said previously. There, Emil, is that just because you get a shitload of money doesn't mean that you make every decision correctly. I, I, I think I think Jonas is a fantastic songwriter, and uh, when I heard that he he was asked by the Melody Festival to write a song, so he didn't send the song in. He was asked to write a song, and I heard a few of the suggestions that he had, and uh, I thought, I thought, the, you know, why not? He wanted to do it all himself, you know, produce it and do, you know, do everything himself. As far as I know, as I, I, I never heard, I never, I just heard it initially as a demo, and uh, it's a shame, you know, it, it, when you've got a good setup going for you, uh, then I think you should you should stay with it, stay with it, what you got, because the, your audience, if they've loved, which they did, Happy Nation, The Sign, you know, all these, they, what, why not, you know, give them, give them what they want. And that's what, that's what, that's why the breakup came with Arista and, and, uh, and Claire, is that, you know, you, you're doing this reggae thing and it's working, you're the biggest kind of pop reggae band in the world, when people want to hear Ace of Bass, they want to hear this kind of pop, reggae, yeah, good yeah. melodics. Yeah. Give them that, just yeah. and we can we can sell another five, six albums. But uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't um, uh, explain the girls in, in number one. I think, I think it's unfortunately that that uh, that the, the, because they were sisters and bro, you know brothers and sisters. I think there was something going on there. I don't know. Ace of Base were actually considered for the Melody Festival in the beginning or middle of the 2000. And the song that they had written for the pre-selection was Would You Believe? Did you know that? No, never heard it. Never heard it. But have they? Is it still the original members then? Uh, no, <laughs> without Marlin. Yeah. See, the Marlin was was magic, and and uh, a little tri- little tip of the trick of the tip was called trick of the trade is that originally when when we did you know Happy Nation, Wheel of Fortune, all these things, that uh, the pitch was too high for Marlin, and when we dropped it down considerably about you know three or four full tones down then all of a sudden she had a wonderful richness to her voice that was special and and uh, you hear it in in all that she wants and all that is that and the trick there is i think one of the tricks is that almost anybody can can sing along with those songs it's it's in a key that that most people can sing along yeah. with yeah uh, and i think the texture of Marlene's wrist, she had a magic, you know, and I'll tell, I tell you one thing, and I, this is 100%, you know, I'm the engineer, I'm the producer sitting there, and you, Marlene would come in and say, right, you've got 40 minutes, that's all I'm going to sing, so you better record everything, and then I'm going, I'm going to a party, or I'm going to meet my friends, or whatever it was, so my God, and she sang it, like, you know, three or four times, and said, hey, do <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, hopefully, hopefully I could, you know, and in those days I was cutting tape 
you know, two inch tape. So you've got one word there and one there and five, three, five words there and do that. My God, the hours I spent cutting all that together. Um, but we got it together anyway. And um, she had, she definitely had a m magic texture uh, to her voice. And for me, uh, and it was, it was kind of, it was, it was, I can't explain it. It was kind of laid back, but at the same time, you listen to me. Yeah. If you understand, you know, I'm sure you do. Well, obviously, it was pointless for you to submit songs to Sweden. But you have competed in Eurovision five times for other countries. I'd be afraid, the years go by. 